0: or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. We're really excited to have as a guest on Be Brave at Work today Chuck Muller, who is the founder, CEO, advisor, and executive coach at MCG Partners, an organization that helps develop leaders and teams, optimizing both businesses and individual talent. His new and best selling book, The Rise of the Agile Leader Can You Make the Shift?, is a guide for the aspiring mid and seasoned C level and executive that introduces a new leadership paradigm, a roadmap of what makes a great leader and what organizations must do to develop great leaders in our ever-changing world. Chuck, we are so glad to have you with us today.
1: Thank you, Ed. Really enjoying being here today, so looking forward to our conversation.
0: I did a kind of light introduction of you, and I'm wondering if you tell folks a little bit more about kind of what brought you to what you do today and how you're currently interacting in the marketplace.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, so I started uh, MCG Partners 15 years ago, actually this month. It's actually our 15-year anniversary.
0: Happy anniversary.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been a great journey. I, I've got, I'm really fortunate to have such a tremendous team. And you know, we're all very passionate about the work we do. And as you described what we do briefly, you know, we are in the leadership development, talent management, and organizational effectiveness space. So we do a number of things in that space in terms of leadership development, executive coaching, management training, succession planning, do a lot of work around culture, employee engagement, diversity, equity, inclusion, using assessments in terms of creating the right work environment and a strong, high performing, highly engaged workforce. So it's a number of things we do, but it's all about really ultimately helping people and helping organizations be successful. And we're really passionate about that. And uh, I'm fortunate enough where I became an executive coach and also wrote a book two years ago, The Rise of the Agile Leader,
0: Can You Make the Shift? fantastic. And, you know, when I think about all of the things that you do to currently interact in the marketplace, you know, one of the areas maybe we could talk about for a minute in respect of bravery at work has to do with employee engagement, because you would think that employees who are highly engaged work in a culture where they can be brave and they can experience psychological safety and with respect and courtesy, of course, say what they need to say or do what they need to do without feeling that they're going to get reprimanded or in trouble for doing it. And I'm wondering what you're currently experiencing in the marketplace and what some of the cross sections might be between employee engagement and bravery.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I think this really started before COVID. I mean, this whole concept of not just bravery and psychological safety and the impact of all this, but really a conflict, because ultimately it's about conflict and people feeling comfortable to engage in positive or healthy conflict versus unhealthy. This really started before COVID. This is not a new new issue, I think, in the workforce and in work environments. And I think organizations that create the right work environment that allow people to challenge a status quo, to, to share their views and opinions, to question, to challenge. And that has to come from multiple directions. So that that issue started before COVID, and COVID just accelerated to becoming even a greater challenge for lots of reasons, social sensitivities around diversity and equity and inclusion, issues around multiple generations in the workforce. And then you add virtual workforce, hybrid workforce, you know, you've got people now who are you know in a lot of ways isolated because they're not as connected as if they're in the office. A lot of people over the last two years have been hired virtually and are still struggling with feeling connected with all the CEOs I speak to, executives, heads of human resources, they're all struggling with this, you know, how do I create the right work environment? How do I get managers to overcome their biases of, of having employees that are not in the office and, and get them in, involved, get them, you know, to feel like they're part of the team, part of the organization? So not only does it have an impact on engagement, it really has an impact on people feeling comfortable to be brave in, in many, many ways.
0: Well, you would imagine that if it was hard to be brave at work, three years ago when we were all in the same office and saw each other every day, it's going to be potentially even harder to be brave at work when your relationship with your boss or colleagues or subordinates are so virtual, right? You know, how do I do it, when do I do it? And I'm just wondering what, what some of your observations on that might be, is it, is it harder to potentially be braver at work virtually than it might be if you're you know physically seeing a person every day? Absolutely, because you don't have that same level of interaction, you don't have that
1: same level of connection. Cause ultimately when it comes to communication and being open, transparent, it's about trust. And if the trust is being established by not just talking about work and responsibilities and projects and to-dos and deliverables, how do you build a relationship with people? Because ultimately it's about relationships, Ed. And if you're not developing relationships with people, both your your peers, your subordinates, your bosses, it's hard to be able to feel comfortable enough. To to challenge, to to be to be open, to be brave, and then there's another factor that you know I think a lot of people really talk very much, and it's really the personality factor, right? Some some of us are very comfortable being brave because we're more assertive, we're more direct, uh, we're naturally able to be able to demonstrate that behavioral capability. There are some people naturally they're more re- not only more reserved, but frankly are more laid back, are more about harmony and collaboration. And are very very uncomfortable about you know questioning or challenging and that would be whether they're in the office or virtual so you add the you add the personality factor in terms of how people are wired what they're naturally strong at what they're naturally uncomfortable with and you know a lot of that we would describe as sort of passive aggressive behavior typically right where people don't want to challenge don't want to question a decision or an opinion in a room whether it's virtual or in person then they walk away and they start, you know, uh, complaining to their colleagues or venting about how they disagree with that decision. Of course, people hear about that. They get frustrated and say, well, why didn't you share that with me? And typically you call that passive aggressive behavior. It has nothing to do about being virtual or in person. That's just a personality characteristic that can easily be modified through self-awareness and understanding the impact that has when you're not being open and transparent when discussing a decision or an opinion or a direction, you know, whatever that, whatever that topic may be. So there's a personality factor in addition, but clearly being virtual is, is much harder because people are running from one meeting to another. They're not taking time to connect. They're not t- taking time to develop relationships, to establish trust. So it, it adds a whole nother element to, to that whole notion of, of having you know brave conversations.
0: Well, I love the observation, Chuck, of the importance of a relationship. And we have advocated on this podcast that whether you want to be brave or not, you need to have relationships with the people that you work with so that at those times when you need to be brave, the likelihood of you doing it and the likelihood of the other person listening because you have a relationship is greater than somebody that you never talked to and you decide to go in one day and tell them something that you feel they need to hear. And even if you're being helpful and expect them to hear, right? So this need to have and the existence of a relationship with people that you work with is super important. Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And what are some ways, Chuck, maybe you could just reflect a little bit on work that you've done with other clients. If if I want to ensure that I have, you know, what I would call an effective relationship, these are not people who go out for Friday nights for margaritas and are best friends forever, but these are people with whom I have an effective work relationship with. Do you have any thoughts or ideas on what they might need to do? You know, just a couple of ideas to start building or ensuring that they have a good, effective relationship with others.
1: Absolutely. There's some really great best practices out there, Ed. Um, We we ourselves have done the last, especially the last two years, a lot of management and employee training on how to be effective in a virtual or hybrid workforce environment. And how do you manage a hybrid or virtual workforce effectively? Because for most of us, even though it's not a new concept for most of us we haven't had that 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 skill that that ability to do that effectively then you add of course you know COVID and and everything else the last two years so i think there's a couple of things that people need to do one they have to start cha- changing where they spend their time if all you're doing is is scheduled for back-to-back meetings all day long you know that's just not effective you've got to be able to say do i have time am i creating time to have to have ad hoc conversations which I typically do if I was in an office, but because if you're virtual or hybrid and you're managing or working with, uh, you know, virtual colleagues or employees, you have to create time to have those ad hoc conversations. There has to be conversations beyond just, you know, what's going on with the, the responsibilities, of the role to check in with people and get to know them as, as individuals. You know, one of the things that we've seen the last two years that's changed tremendously at, you know this whole notion of getting to know people outside of the workforce it would happen organically, or from a, a company perspective, that was like a line we never crossed. That's changing now. Companies have to get to know their people on a personal level to understand what are their anxieties, what's going on in their personal life, what are their challenges. How can we create the right role and responsibilities or work environment to help you be effective based on what's going on in your personal life? So those lines no longer exist. And companies have to realize they have to be effective, and the only way you can be effective there is by having those conversations, building those relationships, and having those conversations. So that's one technique: is you know, change where you spend your time every day. You know, get out of the routine of back-to-back video calls and Zoom calls and Teams, whatever you're using, and, and create that connection. And guess what? We own our calendars. You know, we have to, we have to take ownership of our calendars, start making those changes. So that's one very very specific example. Another example would be celebrations i mean one of the problems we were having because again we're not we're we're back to back video meetings all day long for the most part is we're not celebrating as a team anymore or it's rare and, and to your point some people you know may not always be crazy about a virtual happy hour but a lot of companies have been doing some very very creative things i know one, one global organization will have each office in each country um you know pick a, a celebratory events in their country and their culture and kind of share that with the rest of their, their colleagues across the world. Now, whether you have one office overseas or multiple offices, you can get creative about this and, and they'll get dressed up in their, in their culture. They'll, they'll share a potential meal that you, that, that they will have in that celebration. And they'll do that to sort of celebrate what's, you know, their culture, their heritage and what's going on in their particular country and share that with their colleagues across the world. So you can be creative about those kind of things around celebration. Another example of celebration would be, hey, let's have a cooking, you know, cooking experience where, you know, people will take turns and cook their favorite meal. and Everyone gets together and we'll cook together and do that virtually. So there's a number of things you can do to create connection and create bond, and just sitting there in front of a blank screen or a screen, I should say, in front of a person. And, and be able to say, oh, how are you doing? And then by the way, that's really important, how you're doing, how your family, how are you? What's going on in your life? Um, but also to create sort of celebrations and not just business successes, but individual successes, personal successes, uh, finding out what people's passions and interests are besides their day-to-day role. So there's a number of things you can do to create connection, to celebrate people's either heritage or their country or create, you know, fun ways of, of getting together that go beyond than just having a, a virtual happy
0: hour. Well, I think part of what you're talking about, Chuck, is the importance of recognizing the holistic contributor and the workplace. And, you know, we can all remember back in the, you know, maybe 40s, 50s and 60s that work was work and personal life was personal life and the two couldn't cross and we didn't care necessarily, or maybe some people did about your personal life. At work, we expect you to do X, Y, and Z, and get on with it and move on. And it sounds like today, and it might be uh, an erosion of the old behavior. It's not a switch that's getting flicked, but people are getting there eventually, where it sounds as though people are interested in knowing more about you and what you like to do, not like to do, how you might feel about something, you know, how life is unfolding for you. And it sounds as though this is, uh, these are observations that you're hearing and experiencing in the marketplace.
1: Yeah, and there, there's also some interesting research that's been coming out the last six months. Uh, one research in particular talked about, you know, you know, why are people leaving their roles or their companies, or their organizations? We all have been hearing about the great resignation now, obviously, for a number of months. Uh, but it's really interesting because em- employers feel that people are leaving because either compensation or burnout or mental health. And those are definitely some of the reasons. But actually, when employees are asked you know, why they're leaving. Their responses are, are different in the sense at least their top reasons. Their top reasons are not feeling valued, not feeling appreciated. So that goes ties in again back to how do we demonstrate, you know, to to employees that that we, that we they're appreciated, that they're valued. And, and that goes beyond that, just having those day-to-day conversations around work and job. And again, it's harder when it's virtual because you don't have that same day-to-day interaction with people. And then for companies that are hybrid, where they only get together maybe in the office two, three days a week, how can they get together and not just talk about work and talk about deliverables and talk about the market, whatever is going on day to day. It goes back to how do you build team? How do you build relationships? How do people start getting to understand each other? And when you think about the principles of engagement, going back to your original question, I mean, these are the principles, right? Do people feel connected to the mission, the purpose, the strategy, the direction of your organization, your culture? And what, 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 what's when you think about culture, it's all about, you know, what what are our values? You know, what's important to us regarding our purpose and our mission? How do we how to reflect that in our values and how do our behaviors demonstrate those values every day? And you've got to integrate that into how you work with people, how you communicate with people and how you build relationships with people every day.
0: Well, to remind our listeners, we're talking about the importance of building an effective relationship in the workplace with bosses peers, and subordinates as a precursor activity to being brave at work, that if you have a good relationship with somebody, your likelihood of being brave with them, respectfully and professionally, of course, and to have them listen to you, because all conversations have two participants, is greater than if you didn't know this person at all and just walked in and said, hey, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this. So Chuck, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm just wondering, and I think I have heard this from listeners in the past, I need to tell my boss something that I think he or she needs to hear. I want to do it to be helpful. I want to be respectful and professional, but we're virtual. You know, I'm based in Boston. They're based in San Diego. We rarely see each other. Again, to put you on the spot, you know, what, what can I do virtually to have this conversation with my boss to give them some feedback on something that I think they should hear that could help them?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question, but there's a th- there's things we have to recognize, and we all are living it, which is we are virtual in, in, in many respects. Even for those who are in the office, there's a virtual component to our work that's never going to go away, for the most part, right? And and, and virtual is not new. Let's face it, right? We we you know for global companies, matrix organizations, they've been dealing with virtual as part of their day to day, you know, for many years. But for, for the majority of us, it's definitely been a new experience the last two years. So. So, yeah, I, I think it goes back to something we talked about earlier, which is understanding your personality and your style. I mean, for some of us, it's very uncomfortable, whether it's in person or virtual, to be able to give feedback. And we have to recognize that ourselves. And we have to find that inner courage to be able to have courageous dialogue. You know, something I talk about in my book as well. You know, how do we have courageous dialogue? How do we create the right work environment to do that? Now, when you're trying to do it with your boss, it's obviously harder and especially if you're relatively new and you feel like you haven't established a relationship yet and there's not enough credibility. So first question is, is it the right time? Now, if it's something that's really urgent, if it's something that's really pressing, then yes. Then, then we, you just simply have to make that in, in initiative and, and try to have a conversation and, and present whatever that, that, that issue may be. If it's something that is been brewing up or something that a person is thinking about or are comfortable with, but they really wanna give that feedback, then, then my question is, have you taken the time yourself to invest in building that relationship with your boss? Do you feel that you can have that conversation? Now, some bosses are very good at creating the environment that says, yes, I want feedback. I'm receptive. If there's any issue, please give it to me. And then as an employee, then you have to take a, that, that opportunity to do it. And and, and often, it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. But we have to find that courage ourselves to say, "He's. He, I've been given permission. I need to be able to do this in a mindful way. And that's the key. If it's something that's really stressful, if it's something that's been really bothering a person for quite some time, the longer you wait, the harder it's going to get. And not only that, the more emotional you're going to get and the more stressed you're going to get. So something that's really pressing and bothering you, my advice would be put yourself in a position where that you're relaxed, you're neutral, you're not emotional, so that you can be articulate and mindful. And think about really what you want to say. A lot of people tend to respond re- emotionally, and that's really not effective. I talk about, actually, in my book, something around triggers. You know, how do we manage our emotions when we're having conflict or when we're dealing with an issue or someone's triggered us, there may been no conflict whatsoever. And that's where we have to be brave to understand that sometimes it may not be the right time to have that conversation. So bravery is not always about engaging in something, and sometimes it's disengaging. It's recognizing this is not the right time sometimes that takes bravery to say either the person I need to talk to is not emotionally in the right place or I'm not. So how do I make sure that both parties are neutral, are receptive, are willing to listen and willing to have a a dialogue? So I I think those are some of the comments I would add to
0: that. Fantastic, Chuck. I think that's very helpful for our listeners as they think about it. And a couple of things I just want to echo, Uh, you talked a little bit about permission. And even though you may have a strong relationship with somebody that doesn't give you carte blanche opportunities to say whatever it is that you need to say, thinking that they're going to listen. I think once you have something that you need to say, you have to ask for permission to have the conversation because once a person provides you permission, the likelihood of them listening and being open to it is greater than just walking in and saying, hey, we've got a great relationship. I need to tell you something because it may not be to your other point, the right time. So this isn't all about what you want to say and when you want to say it, but also about, you know, is, is this the right time? Is this the right place? You know, what's going on in my boss's life or my peer's life? You know, when can I find the right time to have this conversation to ensure that person is listening? So Chuck, thank you so much for all your thoughts and observations as you have navigated the current workplace. And if folks want to reach out to you to talk more about the work you're doing or additional thoughts you might have, on bravery at work how can they contact you
1: sure they can find me on uh, my my company website which is mcgpartners.com. they can also find me on my own personal website which is chuck and that's m-o-l-l-o-r.com
0: fantastic well chuck thank you again so much for being a guest on be brave at work
1: now my pleasure Ed. hopefully this was helpful and enjoyed the, the chance to
0: chat and to our listeners thank you for joining us today and we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work we also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms we are everywhere our podcast today was sponsored by cabot risk strategies whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CapitRisk.com.